0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn to your Bibles tonight to John chapter 14 and Mark chapter 16. We uh, started uh, a little over a month ago, I think it is now. Um what I thought would just be a one night message on faith in the name of Jesus. And uh we're in uh, I think it's week 5 if I remember correctly. And uh we wound up going through the book of Acts and we'll continue to go through uh, some of it tonight. Um but Jesus made some of the um, uh, in my opinion some of the most outstanding statements about how things would operate in the church world on the last night that he was with his disciples. John gives us an eyewitness account, uh, an inside look, if you will, that uh, none of the other disciples give us. Uh, the, John's gospel was the last one to be written, and it's almost like he fills in the blanks on some things that the others didn't tell us by the Holy Ghost. And so John tells us some things that Jesus said about the Holy Ghost and about how things would uh, would work in the church age the day after his resurrection that uh, that are of great importance and, and really some of the most outstanding statements I believe that uh, Jesus ever spoke. John chapter 14, we'll start in verse 12. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, we've said this over and over again, but I, it, I, I just can't read this scripture without making the statement. Some people in the church world say, well, yeah, uh, we're not too concerned about the works that Jesus did with healing works and things like that, because we're doing the greater works of getting people saved. Well, the the argument is, or their position, as I understand it, is that Jesus never got anybody saved. And so getting somebody saved is a greater work than anything Jesus was able to do, because that fulfilled God's original promise for the Spirit of God to live on the inside of us and for us to be born again. Listen, I have no problem with being born again. I have no problem with, uh, uh, with uh, the emphasizing the importance of the new birth. But the fact is Jesus did get some people saved. John chapter 20 tells us Jesus got his disciples saved after he was raised from the dead. He appeared to them in the midst of the room where they were standing and breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Now, if they didn't receive something, if Jesus said, Receive the Holy Ghost, and they didn't receive something then Jesus deceived them. So what did they receive? Well, it tells us that they changed. When he appeared to them, they were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jews. But after he had been with them, then they're openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. And they were filled with joy. Well, aren't those characteristics of being saved? Joy is certainly one of the fruit of the Spirit that comes to everybody after the new birth experience. So Jesus did, according to the Bible, get people saved. But even if we accept the argument... Even if we accept the argument that getting people saved is the greater work, okay, fine, I don't have a problem with that. Jesus still said, not only would you do greater works, but you'd do the same works that he did. So, unless you're just gonna take this verse of scripture out of the Bible, you're gonna have to admit that healing is, it was designed for the church. Now, I'll prove it to you. Some people will say, no, 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 no. You're going too far, Pastor Mike. Because he was talking to his apostles. He was talking to those who would be the foundation of the church and they had special power. And once that special power or once they died, that special power was done away with. Well, okay, let's see if that bears out. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do shall you do also. And even greater works than these shall you do if you believe on me and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my father. How are you going to do the works? Verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask, the word ask means to call for or require, it means to put a demand on. Like you put a demand on your bank every time you write a check. You're exercising the terms of the contract. This is a legal agreement. It's a legal right because of the relationship we have with him. So he said, and whatsoever you shall call for or require or put a demand on in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if we're going to say that the healing works of Jesus have been done away with, we're going to have to say the name of Jesus has changed. You know anybody that's willing to say that? If the name of Jesus is the same now, the name of Jesus that the Bible says God gave him a special name, exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. If that name which he transferred to the disciples or told them that they would use in the church age, unless that name is void of power that it originally had, at least for the time that the apostles were alive here on the earth. Unless that name has lost power, then the works are still available. Because the works weren't based on the apostles. The works were based on the name. Can I get a witness? Amen. So whatsoever you shall call for or require in my name, that will I do. For what purpose? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. I wonder if God is out of the glorification business. Maybe now that all the twelve the original twelve apostles are dead, maybe God's not interested in being glorified in the Son anymore. No. That's not the case. The Bible says, glorify God in everything that we do, in our body and in our spirit, because both of them belong to Him. Well, then why would the name of Jesus have changed, either in power or in scope, since the purpose was to bring God glory? Is God, is God desiring less glory now than He did when, the, when Jesus first began the church? Well, if there's ever been a time when He needs more glory, it's now. If there's ever been a time where the glory of God needs to be exalted in the earth, it's in these last days. Amen? So unless Jesus lied to us, we have a right to expect the same works that He did. Now, what did He do? Well, very specifically, He the Bible says in um, uh, what is it? Matthew chapter 10. It says that uh, Jesus went about their cities and villages, preaching in the synagogues, teaching or preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching in the synagogues and healing every manner of sickness, and every manner of disease among the people. So teaching, preaching and healing are the summary of the works of Jesus. Now, we know that he did other things as well. We know that he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. We know that he walked on the water. We know that he turned um, uh, water into wine. We know that he raised the dead. And Jesus did not put any qualification on this other than the use of his name. He didn't say, now, now, some of the works you can do too, but, you know, the, the big ones, don't try those. He didn't say it. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, clearly since the works are done in his name, he means believing on the name. He that believeth on me or believe in my name, the works that I do shall he do also, and even greater works than these shall he do because I go unto the Father. Now, Pastor Mike, if that's true, why don't we have more works being done in the name of Jesus? Because you got so much religious teaching against it. You have to nowadays, you have to talk people into it. It, It's it's amazing to me, and as we've gone through the book of Acts and we'll continue to, especially to the Gentiles. When Paul went to the Gentiles, man, these people didn't know anything. So he went in, preached the good news of Jesus, and got people miraculously healed on the spot. Why? Because they didn't have any religious training against it. They didn't have anybody saying, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. That was only for a certain time. Or God's not doing that anymore. God's not interested in healing the sick like he did in Jesus' day. Jesus just did that to prove that he was the son of God. But now God's interested in the inside of man, not so much the outside of man. They didn't have people telling them stuff like that. They didn't have anybody telling them that. So Paul goes into these towns. He starts preaching the name of Jesus And people hear it and say, you're kidding, really? Jesus did all that for me? Paul said, yeah, be healed. And they get healed. It's that way still on the mission field a lot of times. You can go places where they haven't been steeped. Even if they've heard a little bit, they haven't been steeped in religious doctrine, in unbelief. And you can get some marvelous miracles. Folks, the name of Jesus hasn't changed. It hasn't lost any power. It hasn't changed in its scope. It's just the same now as when Jesus told the disciples to use it. What has changed is a lot of people have closed the door on the use of that name with the wrong thinking and wrong believing. Now, turn back with me to Mark chapter 16. Here's Jesus talking to the disciples just before he's caught up into heaven. He delivers to them what is known as the Great Commission. Most all of the church world believes, half of it. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Now you'll notice I just blew right past some of the punctuation there. The reason for that is there is no punctuation in the original Greek text. Translators added it according to their understanding, and I think some of their understanding was wrong. He's not talking about believing And then using the name of Jesus. And here's a problem that I see with the name of Jesus and really one of the reasons why we started on this five weeks ago. I see a lot of people trying to use the name of Jesus as some good luck charm. It's some magic token that when when you speak the name of Jesus, then somehow or another that puts God's seal of approval on it. But people don't live in the name of Jesus. They just use specific they just use the name of Jesus for specific incidents. Like, if we're going to pray, got to pray in the name of Jesus. If you don't use the name of Jesus, my God, what in the world might happen? Well, folks, the Bible says in everything you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Well, what do you do? Do you wash clothes at home? Well, then that would qualify as doing something in the name of Jesus, wouldn't it? I mean, if Paul is being literal... And he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to say it. So that means when we cook food, that means when we eat food, that means when we wash our clothes, when we wash the dishes, when we go to the, go to work, it means do everything in the name of Jesus. Now, folks, he can't be saying every time you go to the sink and wash a dish, say, in the name of Jesus, I wash this dish. Well, don't do something like that. People from the funny farm come get you. He can't be talking about that. That can't be what he means. Well, then what does he mean? He means live your life cognizant, recognizing the ever-present power of the name of Jesus available for anything and everything you're doing. That's what he means. He means live your life in the name of Jesus. Everything you do, recognize the name of Jesus is the source for supernatural power if you need it. And if you don't need it, when I'm washing dishes, I don't usually need supernatural power. So when I'm washing dishes, I can. What? My wife made a incredibly fast movement back there. Like I never wash dishes. Is that the point? It's such a blessing to have my wife in the service. A lot of things we don't need power, supernatural power for. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means the name of Jesus and the power in that name should be so up front in our thinking and our consciousness that we could be doing other things and meditate on the the name of Jesus and the power that's available to us. You know what most of the church world, the, the time and the thought and the effort that most of the church world gives to the name of Jesus? The few seconds before they ask somebody to pray because they really need something. That's it. Well, no wonder it doesn't have any power in our lives. Because the Bible says, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. It didn't say these signs shall follow them that remember every now and then what my na- that my name is there. And that's what the church world has done, in my opinion. Instead of majoring on the name of Jesus, instead of focusing on the name of Jesus, we focused on everything else. We focused on church doctrine. We focused on church tradition. We focused on religious customs or whatever. And the name of Jesus is just gone by the wayside. It's not the way it was supposed to be. Jesus said everything we do should be in his name. In other words, the name should be forefront in our minds and in our lives. So these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. You know, it's an amazing thing because a, a, a good portion of the church world will argue that these last verses in Mar- Mark chapter 16 are not part of the original text. And you may have a, uh, I'm not sure which, uh, which, uh, Translations say that. I don't know if it's the RSV or the American Standard Version. I'm not sure which one it is. But some of them have a little asterisk there and say, these scriptures are not adequately supported by the original text. Well, isn't that convenient to those that say the signs aren't supposed to follow today? But, in case you don't know this, and they have not revised those translations, to my knowledge, they found these scriptures as part of some of the Dead Sea Scrolls which predates some of the original text that the other scriptures, the other translations were based on. Now, don't you think that God was smart enough to know that down through the ages, the church world was going to argue about whether or not these signs should follow them to believe in my name? Because I got to tell you, there's a lot of Christians, maybe the majority of Christians, that don't believe in some of these signs. And yet the Bible says... These signs shall follow those that believe in my name. That kind of puts you on the hot seat. Because if you believe in the name, this is what's going to happen. And if this is not happening, you must not be believing in the name. So that's kind of a difficult position for some people to take or to be in. So here's God seeing down through the ages that people are going to take sides on this thing. And he sets aside the original text, some of the original documents are some of the things that predate the original documents in some cases and make sure that just at the right time those things are found. But you don't hear about all that, do you? These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Don't take my word for that. You check it out. Look it up on the Internet. You, if it's on the Internet, you know it's got to be right. <laughs> no, it's common knowledge, folks. You can find it easily. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. Sign number one is authority over the devil. Well, that leaves out most of the church world right there, doesn't it? Sign number two, they shall speak with new tongues. Ah, oh, not that. Martha, no. what controversy there is in the church world about speaking with other tongues. Bless people's hearts. They don't know that they're missing out on a wonderful blessing. Number three, they shall take up serpents. Now, the word take up means to lift up like you'd lift up an anchor and a a ship would sail away. It's talking about exercising authority again over the devil. He's not talking about handling snakes. It's talking about exercising authority over the devil so that you release someone from the devil's power. To lift up the devil's burden from them like you'd lift an anchor so the ship can sail. Sign number four, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Here's divine protection. Divine protection. Now, folks, I got to tell you, I do not think that this is supposed to be a specific and exclusive list. For example, I don't think the only divine protection is, uh, is for drinking deadly things. I think divine protection goes a lot further than just drinking deadly stuff. Don't you? You can't tell me. Nobody can convince me that the name of Jesus only covers drinking deadly stuff. No, it's representative of divine protection. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And sign number five, they, the believing ones, shall lay hands on the sick, and they, the sick, shall recover. You can see why some people fight against these verses. Well, we don't do that in my church. No, we stick with the important things. I had somebody tell me that one time. I was on a trip with, uh, uh it was a fourth grade Sacramento trip. I took, I was one of the chaperones with my son, Christian school. Wind up uh being in a room there was uh there was some activity, the kid oh the kids were swimming at the at the hotel. The kids were out swimming and so I'm sitting there and one of the other dads sits sits down next to him and he gets to talking and he's a real personality guy, you know. And so he wants to know all about me. And I thought, You don't really want to know. But uh anyway, he started asking me different questions and I just kinda answered casually and finally I said, Well, I pastor a church. Oh, that's great. All Christians, hey, pastor in church, good. What kind of church do you pastor? Well, it's a, a charismatic church. Charismatic church. Does that mean speaking in tongues? I said, yeah, that's exactly what it means. Along with other things. We believe in healing. We, and I thought, well, okay, if we're in this, might as well jump in the deep end. You asked. Trying to let you off the hook, trying to keep you out of trouble, but here we go. So I said, we believe in healing. We lay hands on the sick. And we believe in healing. We believe God still does miracles today. We believe everything the Bible says is ours is really ours. He said, hmm. Well, I go to such and such church. I was familiar with it. And he said, uh, we don't, uh, we don't do those things. We focus on the gospel. <laughs> I thought, hmm. Poor old us. We're just stuck with the supernatural while they've got the gospel. So I asked him a question. I said, you mean the gospel like in Acts chapter 14? What do you mean? I said, well, the Bible says that, uh, that Paul and his company went down to Lystra and there they preached the gospel. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And I said, it goes on to say there was a certain man at Lystra who was impotent at his feet and had never walked. He was crippled and had never walked. The same heard Paul speak who Paul perceiving that the man had faith to be healed from hearing his preaching, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. I said, you mean that gospel? (laughs) Well, we ended that conversation real quickly. He decided he had somewhere else he wanted to go. And folks, bless people's darling hearts and ignorant heads. People don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. These are things that Jesus said would follow those that believed in his name. Now, let's keep reading here. Don't want to spend too much time on this. I want to keep going a little bit. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. If you were Jesus, wouldn't you tell somebody the most important stuff right at the end? I mean, wouldn't you consider if you were one of the disciples that heard this? Wouldn't you consider the last thing that he said to be one of the most important things? I mean, if he knows he's going, and he knows he's going, wouldn't you consider that Jesus would make sure to tell you something really important right before the end? Well, of course. So what did he tell him? Go preach the gospel. He that believes in the gospel and is baptized, that means baptized into Christ, not baptized in water. He that believes and is baptized into Christ, in other words, gets born again or accepts Jesus, shall be saved, but he that rejects, believes not, shall be damned. And these signs you can expect to follow you, because you believe in my name. Now, how long do we have to spend on this to make the point that he's got to be talking about something more than just being saved when he says believe on his name? For the very reason that so much of the church world believes in the name for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, but wouldn't touch one of these signs with a 10-foot pole. So then... After he had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Well, that's what he told them to do, go into all the world. They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Notice the word them is in italics if you're reading along in the King James. That means the translators added the word. Now, there's nothing wrong with the fact that they added the word, but let's take it out and see what he really says. So they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word. See, God works with you when you work with the word. He didn't work with the apostles because they were apostles. He confirmed and he worked with and confirmed the word with signs following. God doesn't confirm people. He confirms his word. That's why it's so important for we as the people of God to speak his word. Because that's where you get results. That's why you got the people of God, the church world, who are saved, who, have, who are headed for heaven. Heaven is their destination, but you don't see any signs following because God doesn't have any word to work with outside of forgiveness of sins. That's where most people have stopped where it comes to the, the believing in, in the work of Jesus. Now, we got over to Acts chapter 10, so we'll turn back over there with me. We got into the middle of Acts chapter 10. Let's, uh, let's go through, as I mentioned, uh, we've, uh, I didn't really intend this, but we started going through the book of Acts seeing how the name of Jesus is used. Actually, actually, I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 9. We got into the middle of Acts chapter 9. We finished last week with Peter saying unto Aeneas, in verse 34, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. In other words, he literally told him, Jesus Christ healed you. In other words, the work of Jesus provided healing for you. Arise and make your bed, and he arose immediately. Now that's a use of the name of Jesus that a lot of people don't, don't, uh, don't give credit but credit to. Literally, what he did is he preached him a little gospel in a one sentence message. Jesus Christ healed you. Arise, take up your bed and walk. He said to him exactly what he writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, where it says, And with his stripes you were healed. As a matter of fact, it's the same Greek phraseology. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. I wonder why Peter wrote it to the church. Well, he found out it works really well. Jesus Christ maketh you whole. Arise, take up your bed, and walk. And he did. Well, where's the use of the name of Jesus? He proclaimed what Jesus had done. Folks, that is using the name of Jesus. It's not some dramatic lightning flashes and thunder rolls, and somebody says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I know a lot of preachers get dramatic about things like that, but that's not what Peter did. Peter looked at Aeneas and he said, Jesus healed you. Arise, take up your bed and walk. Okay. And he did. And notice how Peter makes this work even further. Let's keep reading. Verse 30, well, verse 35, we'll finish this. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. The church works tirelessly to find some program to reach the world. You know what the program to reach the world is? Show them the power in the name of Jesus. It doesn't take our efforts, our evangelistic efforts. It just takes somebody that's willing to show them the power in the name of Jesus. Now, as I said, particularly in America, there's a lot more to it than just saying, here's what Jesus did, because you've got to overcome a lot of unbelief. It's not that God, with with healing particularly, you get a lot of people that have shut the door on God. God didn't shut the door on them. They shut the door on God. And they go away saying, well, I guess it's not God's will to heal me. No, it is God's will to heal you. That's why he sent Jesus to pay the price. Why don't you open the door by believing what the Bible says? But with some people, you can't get them to open the door. I've worked with some people, bless their hearts. I've worked and, worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And they always have a but. They always have an objection to what the Bible says. I've always found it works better for me if I find a way to, to, to make the Bible apply to me rather than try to find a reason why it won't. But some people, you can't get the door down. And God himself won't knock that door down. It's up to the individual. It's up to the individual. So all the city turned to the Lord because of this one healing. Verse 36. Now there was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which was by interpretation called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. In other words, she lived for the Lord. Well, that's a good thing. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as little was nigh unto Joppa, that means right next to it, or close to it, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent it to him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing him the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning to him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? This woman's dead, right? I mean, they've washed her up. They've prepared her for burial. Why did they send for Peter? They just want him to know. He didn't know this woman. What does it mean to him? Why did they send after hearing that Peter was in the next town? Why did they send for Peter after this woman is dead? They didn't send for Peter while he was, she was alive, hoping to minister healing to her. They didn't do that. They sent for him after she was dead. Why do you do that? They just want him to attend the funeral? I would love to have a picture of your face right now. Because nobody would dare say a word. Why did they send for him? Are they expecting something? While sin for? What caused them to expect something? Is it possible that they heard that Jesus had raised the dead? Well, what happens? Peter finally comes, and what do they do? Everybody shows him all the good stuff that she's done and all the wonderful things she's made, the cloaks and the garments and all that kind of stuff. I guess she's made for the benefit of other people. Otherwise, I don't know why that would be such a good thing. I mean, hey, look, she was a good seamstress, you know. What's the point of that? So I guess this is stuff that she made for other people. I don't know why the other people didn't still have it, but nevertheless, this is the story. So they show her all these things. And Peter puts everybody out. In other words, it's not what she did here. It's not a good works that's going to make this work. So he puts them all out and kneels down. What do you think he does? What would you do? Most people, if they were called for because somebody died, they would come in and say, what is not my problem? What do I have to do with this? But Peter puts everybody out. He gets alone with God and he kneels down. Now, when he kneels down, wouldn't you assume that he's praying? What's he praying about? What would you be praying about? Peter knows the name of Jesus. He knows there's power in the name of Jesus. Does he know that it works indiscriminately at his will? It does not. I'm assuming that Peter is checking with the Lord. Maybe he's pleading her case. Maybe he's saying, Lord, she's not old enough to die. It's not right. She's got time left here on the earth. Maybe he's checking with the Lord, saying, Lord, is there anything I can do about this? Because unless the Holy Ghost moves, he can't just indiscriminately say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Jesus didn't raise from the dead everybody that died during his three years of ministry. There were a lot of funerals that took place that Jesus didn't have any part of, didn't have anything to do with. People died. They were buried. And that's just the normal way of life. There were a couple of occasions where he did raise the dead. One was a very young person, a young boy, that he stopped the funeral, messed up their whole funeral procession. Stops, the whole thing, touches the coffin, and the little boy rises. And then the other is Lazarus. What do you think Peter's doing? I think Peter's seeing what's the limit on the use of the name of Jesus in this case. Now, here's the thing. You know as well as I do that there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And the key to successful driving is to stay between those ditches. That's true where Christian life is concerned. That's true where the things of God are concerned. You you need to stay between the ditches because the devil doesn't care which ditch you get in. He doesn't care if you're over here in the ditch of unbelief and never approach the supernatural. Or if you go beyond that which the Bible says over into this fanaticism and get weird on things, he doesn't care which ditch you're in. He doesn't care. Because as long as you're in the ditch, you're ineffective. And this is what some people do. Bless their darling hearts. They'll say, well, if you've got the gift of healing... Or if your faith is so great, why don't you just go into the hospitals and clean them out like Jesus would have? Jesus didn't. John chapter 5 tells us there was a multitude of sick folks that were crippled and lame and and all kinds of things, all kinds of problems that they had. And there were five porches full of these people, and one guy in the group got healed. And even that was on a manifestation of, of a gift of faith, special faith, not the individual's faith. Jesus didn't clean out the pool of Bethesda from sick people. Why? Because the use of the name of Jesus has limits. That's why we have to teach on the name of Jesus. Because if I can teach on the name of Jesus, I can get people to crack that door open. And once that crack door cracks open, then you can get faith exercised on the part of the individual and you can get results. Otherwise, you're left with the Holy Ghost having to manifest himself to produce something apart from the individual's faith. And that's rare. That's rare in Jesus' ministry. You see two occasions, two specific occasions that that happened in Jesus' ministry. Of all the healing works and miracles that we have a record of in the four Gospels, you see two occasions where the Holy Ghost initiated something apart from or separate from the faith of the individual. So it wasn't the norm then, was it? Yet that's the way people want it to work. Well, I just want God to move in a miraculous way. Okay. Then let me tell you what that means. That means you're left to wait to see if it'll ever happen. There's a better way. The better way is to open the door of faith and to accept what the Bible says. I have no doubt, but Peter is kneeling down here saying, Now, Lord, she's a candidate to be raised up. These people have sent for me. They're looking for a supernatural and a miraculous work to raise her from the dead. They must have some kind of inkling or some kind of impression or some basis for thinking she's too young to die. Wouldn't you think? So Peter's checking to see how far does the use of the name of Jesus go? What can I do here, Father? Well, apparently he got the green light. Maybe it was the collective faith of the group. that moved upon God so that he got a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So he says to her, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Where's the use of the name of Jesus here? Where does Peter say, Tabitha, in the name of Jesus, arise? See, it's that we've got that good luck charm mentality. He just says, Tabitha, arise. Why? Well, he's praying in the name of Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. You see what I'm trying to get at? Your life needs to be based on the name of Jesus, not just some event where you use it. It needs to be used full time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or however many hours a day you're awake. I don't guess you can use it in your sleep. But it needs to be used full time. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when, she had called, when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And this stuff sounds like fairy tales. But it's reality. Look with me over to, um, where do we want to go? We already talked about Acts chapter 13. Oh, Acts chapter 12. Let's stop in Acts chapter 12 and see an event here. The use of the name of Jesus that never mentions Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, James, uh, Peter, James, and John were the the inner circle of Jesus' earthly ministry. They were the three that Jesus would take with him when he'd go to pray, climb the mountain and pray. They were the three that he would uh, keep with him when he'd put everybody else out, when he was going to do a special work and um. um So these are the closest ones. These three are the closest ones to Jesus while he was here on the earth. So he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Oh, wow, I know how to make these guys happy now. Kill these Christians, Christian leaders. So he took Peter also, and these were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. A quaternion is is a band of four. So four quaternions means there's sixteen soldiers. That means they rotate in four different watches. There's four soldiers surrounding Peter at all times 24 hours a day. So he delivered him under four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now can I ask you a question? Why didn't they pray for James? The implication is Peter was delivered because they prayed. What are they doing when they find out James is taken? Now, folks, I don't want to read too much in this. I'm not going to go so far as to say they put James in prison and kept him. And the church just said, well, we hope things work out. It may have been something where it was a spur of the moment thing where nobody had a chance to pray. I don't know. But the implication is certainly that Peter's outcome is different because of prayer. Right? But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now you know the rest of the story how an angel appears. In the middle of these four soldiers an angel appears. Peter's sleeping knowing his scheduled to be executed the next day. Peter's sleeping and this angel kicks him in the side and says, come on Peter, get up. First of all, We know the supernatural nature of this because he doesn't wake up the four soldiers who are right there. Secondly, if you were scheduled to be executed the next day, how soundly are you going to be asleep? But Peter knows what Jesus told him before he left. He said, when you're old, people will take you where you don't want to go. They'll bind you. They'll take you places you don't want to go. They'll feed you, they'll take care of you, they'll do things for you because you won't be on your own. Well, Peter's not old yet. He can go to sleep saying, Jesus said, I'd be old. And when I was old, they'd carry me around and take me places I wouldn't want to go, but I'm not old yet. So he goes to sleep and is sleeping sound. Not worried about it. I love this. He's not worried about what's coming or what's scheduled. And folks, just because the devil schedules something doesn't mean it's going to happen. So the the angel appears, kicks Peter inside, says, come on, Peter, get up. And when Peter gets up, puts on his clothes, he gets up. Then the chains fall off. The doors open as the, the angel leads him out into the city, takes him right up to where the church is praying. And Peter knocks on the door and says, hey, let me in. They're still in there praying. And it says a little girl came to the door, heard Peter and said, went back and told everybody and said, it's somebody out there that says it's Peter. And they said, oh, that can't be right. They wouldn't open the door. They said, that can't be Peter. Peter's in jail. Well, what are you praying about? You're praying for him to be delivered. And he shows up on your door and says, oh, well, that can't be him. Big faith in operation there, huh? Finally, he convinces him to let him in. He goes out and starts preaching in the temple the next day. Turn with me now over to Acts chapter... Uh, where do we want to go? Acts chapter 14. We've already referred to this. Verse 1, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. This is Paul going to the Gentiles now. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. Now, we don't know how long long time is, but it's some time, isn't it? Speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, I wonder how those signs and wonders were done. They were done because they were preaching Jesus. This is exactly what it says in Mark chapter 16, where the apostles went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. It says he's preaching the Lord. It says he's preaching the word of grace. In other words, he's preaching about what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Folks, preaching and teaching should produce supernatural results. Some of the greatest healings I ever saw with Brother Hagin weren't because he went and laid hands on somebody and pronounced the name of Jesus over them, but people got healed in his services. Why? For this very reason. When you're preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, meaning preaching and teaching about what Jesus has done and what belongs to you because of his sacrifice, his substitutionary sacrifice, folks, that opens the door for God to do all kinds of things where you're sitting. You don't need people to lay hands on you in a lot of times, a lot of cases. You just need to receive where you are. That's what happens with this guy. This next guy coming up. Long time therefore they abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. So many times people are saying, well, I just don't like... People are against me, Pastor Mike. Good. That's the perfect territory for God to do good works. Well, I Can you pray for me that I'll have a job where everybody's a Christian there? No. I'll pray that you get a job where nobody's a Christian there except you. Because they're the ones that need you. We want everything to be comfortable, don't we? Folks, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. In other words, the preaching of the gospel, when it's in power, causes trouble. You want to see the power, get ready for the trouble. Multitude of the city was divided, in part held with the Jews, and part with the disciples, or the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews, with their rulers, and to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lies round about. Now, if this was written today, it would say, and these two gentlemen left the ministry immediately thereafter. Here's the result. They preach Jesus, they get signs and wonders and miracles, and the people want to kill them. So they go to Lystra and Derby. Verse seven in the region around about, and there they preached the gospel. We referred to this earlier. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, and put it in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. What did he speak? He's speaking the gospel. He's telling about what Jesus accomplished. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, "Stand upright on thy feet." And he leaped and walked. Now, folks, please notice. I'm going to take this apart. Please notice the crippled man had faith to be healed. How did he get it? He heard Paul speak. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It's the only way faith comes is by hearing the word, which means people that that lack faith refuse to hear the word. Faith doesn't come by praying and asking God for more faith. Pray for me, Pastor Mike, so that i have more faith. Wouldn't do any good because faith comes by hearing, not by praying. Well, Pastor Mike, not everybody has a, the, as much faith as, as people, that, that the ones that you talk about, the ones that get healed. Not everybody has that kind of faith. They can. Because you determine what faith you have because faith comes by hearing. You determine whether or not you hear. Now, he's not talking about listening to. He's not saying faith comes by listening to preaching. That can be an avenue of faith. But I see people listen to sermon after sermon after sermon and never hear it. They never receive it into their heart. It just bounces off. They're busy doing other things, texting on their phones, which is what my wife is doing right now. (laughs) That's for saying I never wash dishes. There's all kinds of things you can be doing, sitting there, acting like you're in church. I know a lot of people, they never come to church. They come in the door, they sit in the seat, and they never get here. Because it's not about listening to with the natural ears, it's about hearing with your heart. The same heard Paul speak. And that hearing produced faith from a crippled condition where he had never walked in his life. Folks, don't tell me your situation is worse than this guy. He doesn't know what it is to walk. There's no hope for him. There's no way he could have any hope other than what he hears from Paul about Jesus. We think having faith is such a hard thing. Oh. I'm working on my faith, Pastor Mike. I'm working hard to believe. Faith is the easiest thing in the world, folks. Believing is a snap. It's easy to believe. All you have to do is hear. The hearing is the most difficult part. And that's difficult because it comes by decision. And that's the place where you're going to, have to push out some of the other things that you've heard to the contrary. To hear the word means you're going to have to take what you've heard from religion and doctrine and and ritual and whatever else, family, friends, whoever, that have told you everything else about your situation and about your condition and say, well, they may have meant, well, that may be what they believe, but here's what the word says. So I choose to accept that. That's what hearing's all about. Hearing is about receiving the truth. The same heard Paul speak. What did he preach? What did he speak? Preach the gospel. Just simply the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Here's what Jesus did on the cross for you. We look at this and we think, man, would I like to know what Paul preached. He preached what we're all supposed to preach. Jesus died on the cross for you. He died for your sins. He died for your sickness. He died for your financial well-being in in every area. Well-being in every area. Jesus paid the price. It's done. He's not coming back to the cross to die for you again. He's done all that he ever needs to do for your sins to be forgiven. He's done all he ever needs to do for your sickness to be healed. He's done all he ever needs to do for your finances to be restored. It's done. That's the gospel. And one guy who was hopeless in his physical condition said, yeah, okay, I'll hear that. And Paul looked at him and recognized this guy accepts it. So he says with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he does. He leaps and walks. Folks, can I ask you a question? How does a guy that's never walked one moment in his life leap and walk? I'm here to tell you now I'll close with this. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says Now you can believe this if you want to or reject it if you choose. But the Bible indicates to us that there is a crossing over from spiritual things that come from the word of God to natural things that bridges the gap that causes impo- physically impossible things to take place. And that's what miracles are all about. It's about the gap between the truth of the word to the natural circumstance. And the word of God is the only thing that can bridge that gap. And there is a gap. No question about it. There is a gap between the spiritual realm and the natural realm. There's a gap between the truth of the word and the reality of your circumstance, the physical reality of your circumstance. There's a gap. And there's only one thing that can cross that gap. And that is faith that takes the truth of the word and makes it Or changes the reality of your circumstance. That's what happened with this guy. And he doesn't just stand up. It doesn't say, and he wobbled to his feet. It says, he leaped and walked. Notice that Paul didn't say, stand up in the name of Jesus. Why didn't he? He didn't have to. He's preaching in the name of Jesus. He's telling about Jesus already. There's no question who had the, who provided the power for this man to be healed. It was Jesus through his substitutionary work. Brother Hagin used to tell this to people. I, I saw people get so mad. I saw people just cuss Brother Hagin to his face. People would come and say, Br- Brother Hagin, I want you to pray for my healing. And he had always asked him, well, what are you believing for? He wouldn't pray indiscriminately for anybody. So I saw him ask people, what what are you believing for? And they say, well, I want to be healed. Well, okay. Well, what scriptures are you basing that that belief on? Or what what scriptures are you standing on? And you'd have people say, well, let me tell you how I believe about this or what I believe about this. I just believe when God gets ready in his own good time, he's going to heal me. And Brother Hagin would look him right in the eye and say, well, he won't. He'd shock them. He'd get their attention. And once he got their attention, he'd go further and he'd say, I want you to know something. Jesus has already done everything he's ever going to do about your healing. I've seen people just get so mad. I saw one lady that was crippled. I thought she was going to get out of the chair. Not by the power of God, but I thought she was going after him. And they'd get mad and say, you mean to tell me that God's not going to heal me? He said, I didn't say that. He'd finally get him calmed down and he'd tell him, what I said is, he's already done everything he's ever going to do about healing you. He already sent Jesus. Jesus already paid the price. He's not coming back to pay an additional price for you. And see, that's what so many people are looking for. Someday, somehow, God's going to do something. Something is going to move God in heaven and he's going to take some special step that's going to provide or create healing in my body. Bible says He sent His Word and healed you. That's not only Jesus who is the Word made flesh, it's also the written Word that tells us about what Jesus has done. You accept the reality that healing is already yours or the healing that, that you may or may not receive based on you, not God, but based on you. Whether healing is received or not is determined by your looking back At what Jesus did instead of looking forward to what God might do someday. That's where you start getting results. Now let me tell you some good news. God wants you well more than you want to be well. I see so many people that are sick and so many people that are dealing with sickness or conditions or whatever the case is. I see so many people that are struggling against God. They think God's on the other side of the fence on this. They think that they're having to work something out of God to get their healing. God's not your adversary. Never. God is never your adversary. The devil is your adversary. He's the one trying to rob you of what Jesus has already purchased for you. And when you start looking at it like that, that way you can approach God on His side. Father, look at what the devil's trying to steal from me. Look at what He's trying to cast me out of, the possession that Jesus obtained for me on the cross. Look at what the devil's trying to take away from me. Folks, you need to get God's side, on God's side about this issue when it comes to healing. But I see so many people, they think they're trying to work something out of God. They're trying to, if I say a special prayer or if I believe a special way or if I if I do something, maybe that will get God on my side. God's on your side. He was on your side before you ever knew about him because he sent Jesus. He's on your side. He wants you to be well more than you want to be well. He wants you out of these chairs more than you want to get out of those chairs. He's not your problem Ever. What is it? Well, number one, the devil's trying to steal from you what belongs to you. Number two, it's going to take you pushing everything else out and just simply accepting the word of God's true for me. Now we have to do that. This faith that this man exercised in Acts chapter 14, Paul told him to do something that he was unable to do. which means he had to believe something was real before he saw it in his body. That's what the prayer of faith does. Prayer of faith is identified in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Well, you desire healing, don't you? If you're fighting sickness, you desire healing. You desire a well body. What things soever you desire when you pray, when you pray, it tells you when. To do with something specific. When you pray, believe that you receive them, meaning healing, and you shall have healing. So those of you that desire a well body, here's how you pray the prayer of faith. I believe I'm healed because I'm praying now. And I believe that will bring healing into my flesh. This man had to believe, this man in Acts chapter 14, had to believe something was real before he saw it in his flesh. He didn't leap and walk and say, wow. Okay, now I'll believe it. No, he believed it before he ever leaped. It was his belief that gave him the strength to leap and walk. Faith believes before it sees. Faith believes because Jesus accomplished it. Faith believes because the word of God declares it. And God's word cannot lie. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that the hearing of your word develops faith. I thank you, Father, for ministering faith to the hearers tonight. I thank you for strengthening their faith. We agree together, Father, with each and every person that's here that's standing against sickness. We agree that by the stripes of Jesus, they are healed. Since Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed, therefore we are healed now in the name of Jesus. By faith, we believe that we're healed now. As we pray, and therefore, Father, according to your word, you'll make it a reality in our flesh. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful work of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you that spiritual things are more more true and more real than natural things. Thank you that spiritual power changes natural circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.